before we start, we do have a couple of things to celebrate. Um, it is today. I'm trying to find her. Miss Francis. There she is. All right. It is her 88th birthday today. And then Miss Destiny is not quite 88 yet. <laughs> uh, but it's, her birthday's tomorrow, so you make sure you wish her a happy birthday. And then, as you know, we celebrated this week Brother Rowlett's 100th birthday. Yeah, that's amazing. Amen. Leviticus 16. This is uh, the book of Leviticus has been called the place where Bible reading plans go to die. Come on, right? You're, you start reading in January, Genesis, Exodus. But man, come end of February, man, Leviticus comes and it's all of these different rules that you really don't know much about. Um, but what it does, in my opinion, very beautifully, the book of Leviticus really builds up all of these different laws, all of these different customs to chapter 16. Chapter 16 reads more like Genesis and Exodus than any other part of the, of the entire book. Um, but this chapter, in my opinion, needs to be one of the most rehearsed, restudied, reread books, or parts of a book in the entire Bible. You need to know Leviticus chapter 16. If you're a believer today, this should be something that you study over and over and over again. Um, a lame duck president met with his successor in the Oval Office. Near the end of the orientation, he presented the incoming leader with three numbered envelopes with specific instructions to open them in order, but only open them after you've had a very difficult time. After the new president completed his honeymoon period with the media and the public, the nation experienced an economic downturn. So he opened the very first envelope. Inside was a card that read, Blame me. So he did. He criticized the former administration. After a while, social upheaval brought about critical domestic crisis. The president opened the second envelope. Inside, it read, blame my party. So he did. In an overt display of partisan politics, he blamed the other party. About a year later, foreign policy resulted in serious problems, and the president, fearing he may be recalled, opened the third envelope. Inside the card read, prepare three envelopes. It's been said, he who smiles in a crisis has found someone to blame. Rather than seek solutions or accept personal responsibility, some enterprising business came up with an idea. They offer a unique service unlike any other. The company is called Rent a Scapegoat. They advertised that they would gladly come to any business and accept blame for any marketing snafu, um, admitting to nearly anything as long as you paid them enough money. I'm surprised Enron didn't hire this firm or Bud Light just a couple of months ago, right? We regard a scapegoat as someone that we should blame for our misfortune. We are familiar with the term scapegoats in our culture. We see them all the time, especially in politics. Someone will make a mistake, and another person will carry the blame for that person. Sometimes 
criminals claim that they're just scapegoats. They want us to believe that they are innocent and that people have transferred the blame onto their shoulders. The idea of a scapegoat is not a new one. In fact, it's an idea that gets its roots in Leviticus chapter 16. This is where God explains to Israel the necessity for an annual day of atonement. It's known in Jewish culture as Yom Kippur, usually occurring on the 10th day of September. It's a day of national fasting. It's a day that should be marked by repentance and forgiveness. It is still observed today as a solemn Sabbath, though Jews don't sacrifice in the temple any longer. Yom Kippur has been called the Good Friday of the Old Testament. Today, let's study what the Day of Atonement has to do with you and me. Look at verse number 1. And the Lord spake to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all, uh, that not at all times into the holy place within the veil, before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with the linen miter shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. And he shall take the congregation of the children of Israel, two kids of the goats, for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two, excuse me, there we go. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him, to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for this passage. Lord, as we open it this morning, I pray that it will be something that changes lives today. Lord, herein is the message of the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that through the gospel, people will come to know you as their Savior. I pray, Lord, that through the gospel, sinners will be brought close to you. Change us today because of your word. In your name I pray. Amen. Today we're going to see, as we study the Day of Atonement, three different pictures of um, the gospel of, of Jesus. And the first picture I want you to see is the picture of the great priest. It's a portrait of Christ, our mediator. As with all pictures that we will look at today, we will first look at the picture in the shadow of the Old Testament. And then we will take the picture off the wall, so to speak, and look at it in the light of the New Testament. The crowd would slowly gather on the Day of Atonement. They were quiet. They were most certainly reverent. Some of them probably a little bit afraid. As they gathered around the tent of meeting, this was the great Day of Atonement. This was the day that God himself had appointed 
This was the day that uh, Aaron the high priest would be their mediator. This was the day when Aaron the high priest would stand between God and the people. On this day of atonement, it would be made for their sins. This atonement provided for the people by removing their sin to be at one with God. This was the day that God would show up at least in a physical form. The only time of the year that God showed up. And the people would only get to know he showed up because of the smoke that would billow out of the tabernacle. Friend, you and I live in a blessed age. You and I don't have to wait for September 10th to get to feel the Lord's presence. You and I don't have to wait on special occasions to have our sins forgiven. Today, we have access to all of that all of the time. Every single moment of every single day, if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit goes with you. Do you know what the tabernacle is today? Do you know what the temple is today? It is not this building. It's you and me. The Holy Spirit lives within us, and so we are now living, breathing embodiments of that Old Testament temple. We don't have to wait for a high priest to go in and say, okay, God showed up. We get to say, God is with me all of the time. That is powerful, friend. We are so blessed, we take it for granted. We, we experience it so often that we just think it's natural. Do you know if we were to transplant those Old Testament saints to this service, they would be looking at me very strangely this morning. They would say that that is not the way it's meant to be, that you had to go to a certain place and at a certain time on this specific day, then God would show up. But no, you and I get to enjoy his presence all of the time. We should thank Jesus every day for the sacrifice he made and for tearing the veil, so to speak, so that we can have uh, the Holy Spirit within us all of the time. Moses' brother was Aaron. Aaron was the high priest. He was the one that had been chosen to be the mediator, to stand between God and the people. Even though this was without a doubt a high and honorable position, Aaron was allowed to go into the most holy place only one time a year. And really, it was a treacherous day for him especially. One reason I know that we treat the presence of God flippantly is because we aren't afraid of it. We're so used to it, we aren't afraid of it. Can I tell you, the people were afraid that day. Aaron's family, maybe were thinking, well, if he didn't forgive, get his sins forgiven right, he's not going to make it out of there. He could literally die by walking into that holy place without having his sins forgiven. If he came into that place and there was some sin in his heart, he would die on the spot because sin couldn't last. But not just sin. If he had touched something unclean, if he had gone to a funeral and hadn't gone through the rituals to make himself clean, he could also die. There are all kinds of ways that he could die. And they reverenced the presence of God so much that they would literally dress differently on this day. Isn't that interesting? The most holy place was located behind the, a thick veil in the tabernacle. It was in that room where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. On top of the covenant was a seat made of gold. It's called the mercy seat. 
And on the seat, there was two angels on top with wings folded out. It was this covering of the ark that God made his throne on that one day. Above the center of the cloud is where uh, dwelt the presence of God. Only Aaron the high priest could enter there, and he could only enter there once, one time a year. Can you imagine how Aaron must have felt as he slowly walked through the holy place, past the table of showbread, past the golden lampstand, and finally past the altar of incense? And then with head bowed low, can you picture him? He walked past that thick veil, and now he was in the most holy place, the holy of holies. He turned, and there right above the Ark of the Covenant was the very glory of God for his eyes to behold. Jewish tradition tells us that on this special clothes that he wore on that day, we'll talk about those in a moment, they actually sewed at the bottom of them bells. And it was just a practical thing. The Bible didn't tell them to do this. But if they went in and they weren't right with the Lord, they'd be dead on the spot. And so they tied these bells, so if they heard the bells, they knew he was moving around. But once the bell stopped moving, they knew something bad had happened. And they also, according to tradition, would tie a leg around his, or they would tie a rope around his leg. And they would uh, do that so that they could pull him out from the holy place. Because if they went in there, they would die as well. The God of Israel, our God. The God we sang, how great thou art to, just a second ago, would literally show up. And if there was something wrong, they would die. Aaron that morning had to bathe himself. And the Bible tells us that he had to put on these sacred garments. The, the high priest had to be spotless in his dress, wearing only white. When the high priest appears before the people during the normal times of the high priestly work, he would dress in regalia. If you know the Old Testament, you know that he would wear a breastplate covered in jewels. He would wear something that looked like a crown. On those days, he was meant to represent the physical representation of God. They could look at the high priest and know that he was faithfully serving God and they could see him physically. But on this day, he was going in front of God. And so he didn't need to impress God with his clothes. And so he would take off that breastplate with all the jewels. He would take off the belt that was real fancy. And he would not wear the crown. In fact, he would just wear like a tunic on his head. Wrap it around his head. His clothes were all white from head to toe. Even it tells us his underwear was all white. It meant to represent that he was spotless from sin. But they were very plain. Just linen Close. Listen to me, that tells me something. For my entire life growing up, I heard a message pretty often. You have to dress right to go to church. You got to wear, and listen, I'm playing the part this morning. Right? Uh, you got you to wear a tie. If you're a, you're, if you're a young man, you got to wear a tie. You got to wear a, 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 a suit. In fact, I went to a college, the first college I went to after graduating high school, and I had to wear a suit and go and I actually got demerits because of a tie I wore. You know what I had in my tie? I had Looney Tunes characters. And one of the professors didn't like the Looney Tunes, I guess, and I got demerits for my Looney Tunes tie. Uh, I went to a, I've gone to churches where they said ladies had to wear dresses in order to stand before God in worship. Two things wrong. 
with that kind of teaching. The first is, God's with us always. And if I'm going to dress this way all the time, or just at church, because God's going to meet with us here, and I hope that he does, um, then I have to dress like this all the time. That would be pretty impractical if I have to mow my grass or change my oil, right? Um, uh, and, And so that's not a great excuse. And then if you read passages like this, Aaron actually dressed less nice to go in front of God than he did to go in front of the people. Listen to me. You know what was important to God? It wasn't necessarily the clothes that he was wearing, but the attitude and the rightness of his heart. Is his heart right? Because Aaron was not without sin, he had to first make an atonement for his own life and the sins of his household. Only when Aaron, the high priest, had made himself ready, could he take the blood of the sacrificed animal into the presence of God. Look with me at verse number 17. And there shall no man in the tabernacle of the congregation, when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place, until he come out and have made an atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the congregation of Israel. Did you notice what it said? Every year, the high priest and the high priest alone bore the heavy burden of being the mediator between God and his people. All by himself. Every year, he would offer the same sacrifices, and every year, the responsibility was all his. He had to do it alone. It tells us in verse 17, no man could go with him. No one was allowed to be with him or help him as he carried out this vital task. What a tremendous weight. What a colossal burden the high priest carried. And after year after year, knowing that in 365 days, I got to do it again. So painstaking and trying was his work that after it was done, the Jews would gather around him with sympathy and congratulations that he had been brought out safely. The great priest that we're looking at on the wall, this picture in the Old Testament, is just a foreshadowing of the great high priest known as Jesus Christ our Lord. As the light of God's revealed word shines on the Old Testament high priest, we will see That is just a portrait of what was to come, of Jesus, our mediator, the one who stands between God and all the people. I want to read some of this, and you can read with me if you want to. Hebrews chapter number 7, we're going to read Hebrews chapter number 9, and we're going to read Hebrews chapter number 10. So if you go to Hebrews, let's start in chapter number 7. The entire theme of the book of Hebrews is that God, or that Jesus is better. And in this section, chapter 7 through chapter 10 is saying that Jesus is the better high priest than Aaron. Look what it says in verse 27. Hebrews 7, 27 says, Who needeth not daily, as those high priests offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's, for this he did once when he offered up himself. It is saying here that Jesus, the high priest, only had to offer one sacrifice. Why is Jesus better? Because once he offered himself as a sacrifice, the sacrificial system died. It was over. You don't have to come into this place and give your preacher a little lamb that I have to slaughter in front of you. No, we have already enjoyed the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. And as long as we have given, uh, believed in our hearts and we have made it our own sacrifice, then we have been forgiven of all of our sins. Not just the sins that we've committed, but the sins that we will commit someday. Jesus' sacrifice is so powerful that it is powerful enough to forgive us of all of our sins. 
verse, or chapter 9, look at verse number 11. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building or not of this world, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serving the living God. And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions there were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. Now jump with me to chapter 10, verse 11. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting until his enemies be made a footstool, for by one offering... He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. What a, what a beautiful thing. Listen to me. Our high priest went into the holy place in heaven and offered his own blood as a sacrifice. And that one sacrifice covered all of our sins as long as we believe. And here's what I love. The pictures here. The, the picture here is of this high priest going into the holy of holies and doing his work and then walking right out. So, so this high priest Aaron, he would go in there, and the one piece of furniture that the most holy place or even the holy place didn't have was a chair. It was a visual representation of something to a Jewish culture. And what it represented was if a man sat down after a day's work, it meant that he was done working. And so there was no chair in the holy place or in the most holy place because the high priest's work of redemption was never done. In 365 days, he was going to have to do the exact same thing again. And so he goes in, he does the work, and he walks right back out. And then 365 days, he walks back in, and he walks right back out as long as he was cleansed. Listen to me, friend. But when Jesus did the work of redemption, he got to heaven, and then he sat down because all of the work was done. Jesus' blood was enough for you and for me. Number two, we saw the great priest, but now let's think about the great pardoned. We read in verse number eight that the day of atonement centered around two goats. These goats were Syrian goats, graceful, dignified, and a clean animal. They were often used as symbols of leadership and loyalty in the culture. They were very highly appreciated by the Jews, and they were one of their most highly sought-after possessions. Aaron brought the two goats to the entrance of the tent of meeting outside of the most holy place. And there the fate of each goat was determined. One goat was going to be sacrificed, and the other goat was going to be the scapegoat. Israel's sin demanded an offering. Israel's sin demanded a payment. And the sacrificial blade came down on the innocent goat's throat, killing the animal. Its blood would pour into a bowl, and it was this blood that he would take into the most holy place. But the thing was, it wasn't enough. 
for the goat simply to be sacrificed. It, it wasn't enough merely for its blood to flow, for the blood to accomplish its purpose of atonement. It had to be carried in the holy of holies by the high priest and needed to be given to God himself. The first goat symbolized payment of price. The second goat symbolized the people and their uh, response to the atonement. Aaron placed his head on the second goat, the scapegoat, and confessed the wickedness, the sin, and the rebellion of the people. After God accepted the first goat, Aaron would take the second goat, place his head, hand upon the head of the goat, and in front of the people pray the sins of forgiveness and placing all of the sins onto that goat. And then he would hand the goat to what the Bible calls a fit man. It was a man that was capable of carrying this goat. The goat couldn't walk. He had to carry this goat into what the Bible calls the wilderness and leave that goat there. They would even tie ribbons around the horns of the goat so that when someone saw that goat, they know not to talk to that goat because that goat represented the sins of the people. Consider how these goats picture our Savior. Think about this. The Bible tells us that this was to picture our sins going far away from the camp. That the the goat that was the scapegoat was to be taken to the furthest parts of the kingdom, as far away as possible. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our sins from us. I don't know about you, but if I start going west down I-20 and I can just continue to drive over the Pacific Ocean and then into all of those other countries and I just keep driving, I'm just going to keep going west and west and west and west. It's never going to stop. Now, if I go north, there's going to be a point where I hit the pole and I start going south, right? Um, but if I keep going west, I could go west and west and west forever. But what is being said here is that when we sin and if we seek forgiveness from sin, that God will put our sins where east and west meet. I don't know where that is. And that's the entire point. Here, listen, can I tell you what I hear from people all the time? My sins are too great for God to forgive. I've done things too wicked. Preacher, if you only knew my heart. Preacher, if you knew those things that I have said, the things that I have done, there is no way God could forgive me. But friend, we have the promise all over scripture that no matter what you have done, as long as you seek forgiveness from God himself, God can forgive your sins. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friend, that is a plea to every person here. Come to Jesus and be forgiven today. This goat was to go out unprotected into a wilderness with little water and little pasture. Well, goats do not have uh, human emotion. The animals were bearing the sins of a nation. And so the goat would be turned out to the hands of a fit man. And the fit man would take a reed. And that goat, if it tried to follow, the fit man would beat the goat to keep him from following him back to the nation. This powerful type was to be played out in the life of Jesus. He becomes our scapegoat. 
Isaiah 53, verse 8, prophesied of Jesus. He was taken from prison, from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. The scapegoat was an innocent victim. He didn't deserve this. And yet all the sins of the people were placed on him. Friend, we serve an innocent Savior. He never sinned once. He was the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. And yet he takes our sins for us. Listen to 2 Corinthians. For he was made to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him can you hear the gospel here is Jesus living a perfectly righteous life and being condemned to death for you and for me and if I believe in him I get his righteousness and he takes all of my sin hallelujah That should make me rejoice. Listen to me, friend. We should be excited about this today. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Can I prove this to you? I said this illustration on Wednesday. I'm going to say it again. Imagine with me. You went to um, see the um, Texas Rangers this week. I don't know who they play, but imagine it was that hated team down in Houston, the Houston Astros, right? Um, and, you know, you're there. It gets to the ninth inning. The Texas Rangers are down by one. Here comes, um, oh, I lost his name. Someone help me. Corey Seeger. Corey Seeger. He comes up. There's a man on second. He's up there about to swing. And, man, you hear it before you see it. You know that home run sound? And, man, it goes. And it's flying over the fence, 413 feet to left field. And it's just unbelievable. The crowd erupts, and you're sitting in your seat, and you ask yourself a question. Do I have to stand up and clap right now? No. Sheila, you're a Texas Ranger fan, right? And you stand up and shout. If you want to see somebody dance, just go to her house after Corey Seager hits a home run. She's dancing. Why? Because in the moment, the praise brings you joy. Listen to me today. Christian, this should be something that brings praise to our lips and fills our hearts with joy because Jesus takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. At the day of atonement, it's like we switch places and the guilty is punished and the innocent is set free. According to Jewish tradition, a cloth was tied around the horns of the scapegoat containing the sins of the tribe. The image presented by the scapegoat is vicarious. It's substitutionary atonement provided by God. The teaching in simpler terms is this. Either way we pay the penalty for our sins or we sacrifice, uh, we make a sacrifice on behalf of our sins to cover the debt of our sins. We all deserve the punishment. We find ourselves in a moral wilderness. The biblical term for atonement means to cover or reconcile. Sin alienates, it defiles, it separates us from God. But atonement provides a bridge. The cross is that bridge. It removes the guilt of all of our transgressions. Before Christ, forgiveness comes through animal sacrifices. But because of Christ, we only have to go to the cross and see what Jesus has done there and accept what Jesus has done into our own life. And make him the Lord and Savior. And by doing so, he washes us clean. 
See, that's one thing that the goat can never do. All it did was cover. But when we get the Holy Spirit, he does an inside work too. He cleans us from the inside out. So that we can stand before God someday completely clean. As we take a closer look at the great pardon, we see a beautiful portrait of our Savior. For over 1,400 years, they did that. So that means 1,400 times a high priest walked into the tabernacle or the temple. For 1,400 years, they did it. Until Jesus on the cross died for me and for you. And the great thing about Jesus, it's all done. I don't have to come here today and say, Jesus, save my soul. He's already done it. I have been set free. Just like Jesus only died once, I only had to come to him once. And he will forgive my sins completely, positionally sanctify me. Now, there are going to be times when I fall into sin. I need to go to him for that relational forgiveness. But positionally, I am set. For the rest of my life, it is there. Hey, hey, friend, I'm almost done. How about you? Have you come in bearing a burden that you weren't meant to carry? Have you been trying to get around these sins and not being able to do it on your own? Friend, you're not strong enough. You're not big enough to do it. But Jesus is. And he has already done it for you. You can come today and find forgiveness, find his righteousness, and have a brand new life and direction if you come to the cross. Would you please stand with heads bowed and eyes closed?